I've titled this morning's message, Impacted by the Wilderness. And I'm excited to bring us into the details because I believe that not only was the first century saints affected by their wilderness wanderings, not only was the second century saints affected by the wilderness, we today are impacted and affected by wilderness wanderings. If you'd like to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to start at verse 1, we're going to read through to verse 11, and we're going to take a look at some of the wisdom that I've been talking about and highlighting uh, that the Apostle Paul shares with the church at Corinth regarding the story of the Exodus. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting at verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not have it that you would be ignorant how all of our fathers were under the cloud and were passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all did eat of that same spiritual meat, and all did drink of that same spiritual drink, for they all drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted, neither that we should be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Neither let us grumble, as some of them grumbled and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all of these things happened to them for examples, and they were written for our, our admonishment upon whom the ends of the ages had come. And I have highlighted the past couple weeks that we're seeing a type and an anti-type, right? The type being that first exodus from Egypt, that the second exodus, if you will, the anti-type, is Christ fulfilling this work, fulfilling this picture of the exodus, but doing it victoriously. Doing it victoriously in his ministry, as we see Christ was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, and also fulfilling it through the church, and allowing the church to have a wilderness period, uh, that time from Christ's uh, Christ's physical ministry, his earthly ministry, up until the time of the destruction of Jerusalem, where he was revealed from glory. We see that as the second exodus. The church coming out of what was known as spiritual Egypt, as we see there in the book of Revelation. Revelation. So the Apostle Paul is saying that those details were written as an example for the first century church, those upon whom the ends of the ages had come. And I have highlighted there that it's talking about the goal of the ages, the telos of the ages. And uh, this is speaking to all things being summed up in Jesus Christ, as we see there in Ephesians chapter 1. You might say that 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 5 through 11, are a sort of summary of the first exodus and the wilderness journey. It says that with them, God was not well pleased. They were overthrown in the wilderness. Some of them fell, fell in one day. Some were destroyed by serpents and some were destroyed by the destroyer. We've seen as uh, Pastor Steve had pointed out in Psalm chapter 29 in our responsive reading this morning, it talked about the shaking of the wilderness. That's this wilderness period and how it affected the people coming out of Egypt. Prayerfully, you know the second exodus, the antitype, and the wilderness journey that we as Christians have as a legacy, a much greater, glorious, and victorious exodus. We see the church in that uh, first century time coming out of spiritual Egypt, coming out of being under law, and 
the Jews specifically coming out of being under law, the old covenant people of God, coming out into this glorious body of Christ, this new covenant. And we know in AD 70 that as the judgments of God were revealed, the church was, uh, there was surely a distinction, just as God did in the first exodus between the Israelites and Egypt. There was surely a distinction between the church, the Romans, and the Jews. Romans and the Jews caught up in confusion and warfare happening over there in Jerusalem, whereas the church was surviving in the mountains of Pella uh, victoriously. The goal of what we've been talking about the past couple weeks is to become saturated by a right understanding of thinking through the scripture. To become so saturated by the gospel, the details that we see in the scripture here, the story of this second exodus, that we saturate the world around us. Where we are at now in our reading is this wilderness wandering of the Israelites in Exodus chapters 14 and 15. So what I like to call this part of reading through the Bible and reading through this story is the grumbling, intimidated, spiritually proud Israelites. All three things you do not want somebody to say about you. Grumbling, intimidated, and spiritually proud. It's been said that the Israelites wandered. They turned what, due to their wandering and their grumbling against God and their disobedience to God, they turned a 40-day journey into a 40-year wandering. Again, we do that in our own lives. When we enter into experiences of the wilderness, again, perfectly we know that the wilderness is used as a motif of or a pattern for trials and life and struggles. So when we enter into wilderness moments in our lives, as Christ had his wilderness moment, the church had their wilderness moment, Israel had their wilderness moment, and again, I would make the case that all of us have wilderness moments, times of trial. And when we enter into these moments and we choose to be complainers and grumblers and disobedient to the will of God, for whatever reason that might be, whether it's being a grumbler, being intimidated, being spiritually proud, or however you've been disobedient to the will of God, when we do that, we turn 40-day, we turn whatever God had intended, that time of completion, um, into something longer than it was needed. And quite possibly, moments of trial and tribulation, to build us up, to edify us. And if we're obedient, we can grow through them. If we're disobedient, we turn it into something that it was never intended to be. I'm going to make a case for that using the story of Adam and Eve. It's been said that God would, of course, have intended to give his people the knowledge of good and evil. However, he was waiting for them to mature. This is a view held by the rabbis. And God was going to give it. However, he wanted them to be obedient in the moment, in the time, so that he can bless them in the right time. And some say that instead they turned, again, a time that they were supposed to wait to receive that knowledge. By their disobedience and receiving of it when God had told them not to, we know that that brought forth the death. So we look at this picture here of these grumbling, intimidated, and spiritually proud Israelites, and we look at what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that this has been given for our admonishment. And admonishment uh, should remind us of what 2 Timothy 3, 16 tells us, that you know the scriptures are inspired by God, useful for correction, for rebuke, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God, woman of God, might be thoroughly equipped for the work of service. And that's admonishment. 
that we would be rebuked, corrected, exhorted, encouraged, and built up. That we would be instructed by God. Why is it so important that not only that first century church, but we come to a healthy understanding of wandering through their wilderness, so to speak? I'll say this, because coming through our struggles can often lead to some attitudes that will keep us back. We can develop great attitudes as we go through trial, which is the reason those trials are given to us. However, as is the picture here with the Israelites in their wilderness moment, we can go through it disobediently. We can make it harder than it needed to be. And then unfortunately, we can develop attitudes that are not healthy coming out of the wilderness. For example, you can become a grumbler, a constant grumbler. Now that you're frustrated, you're always going to be a grumbler. You could become intimidated. You can gain this, uh, what Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, reformed Prince of Preachers, um, you can gain what he called a perceptual vigilance where you're very guarded now. You're intimidated by everything because you've seen what happens when you go through certain trials or you've seen what happens when you live life. It's safe to say that if we don't want trials in our life, we would not even be able to go out our front door because trials are a part of life. The wilderness is a part of life. If you want to enter to the promised land, I know we've all heard this, you have to go through the wilderness. So we don't want to become a people that gain this perceptual vigilance, but instead, as Charles Spurgeon had also noted, we want to become a people that have a sacred sensitivity, that we get brought through the wilderness to the extent that we've seen the move of God, we've seen the sacred, and we're sensitive to it. Now we know it because we've seen it at work. Now we're sensitive to what God might be doing all around us because we've gone through times of trial, we've walked with God, and we've gained this empowerment that comes from God moving, a sacred sensitivity. That's what we are much more in need of. And then, of course, spiritual pride. Nothing like a Christian that's made it through times of trial ultimately to become self-righteous and as though they got it all together. The Israelites eventually become a people like that stiff-necked. We are the people of God. Rather than allowing their journeys and their trials to keep them humble. So what I would like you to do, this week I would like you to read through Exodus chapter 15. You can start at verse 22. And read all the way through to the end of chapter 17. And then also read Numbers chapter 11 through chapter 14, all 14. And what I want you to do is I want you to read these texts with what the Apostle Paul says right here. And keep this in mind, that this was an example for those upon whom the end of the ages had come. And become convicted by the details that are there. What is the example that is set forth? What are the lusts that we should not allow because we look back at their lusting after evil things? What are the things that we should not fall guilty of idolatry um, as we're going through the wilderness of life? Why should we not tempt Christ? What does that mean? What does that look like? How did they do it? How did they commit fornication? How did they grumble against God? Why were these things so important that the first century church needed to look back to that example and remember those things? I'm not going to leave us there. However, that would be enough for our sermon right there. What I want to do is I want to take us through these three things. Grumbling, intimidation, and spiritual pride. 
and mark them out. Give us a response to those things so that when we experience them or we come anywhere near them in our spiritual walk, that we would be able to be victorious like Jesus Christ and preach the word of God to the Satan, the enemy, the adversary that seeks to come up against us to steal, kill, and destroy that which God has given us. Grumblers. And we all know them. We might be guilty of being one. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, it says to do all things without grumbling and complaining. Do all things. All things. We are to go through the trials of life without grumbling and complaining. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9 says to show hospitality to one another without complaining. Because we all know that situation where you've shown hospitality before, you've done it, and you've been abused, you've been you know, stepped on, whatever it might be, you've been unappreciated. And now all of a sudden that person becomes somebody that, yes, they're still giving, but now they do it with grumbling. We are not at liberty to become those people. And then Jude chapter 15. This one's very interesting because it marks out ungodly sinners. So anytime I see a phrase like ungodly sinners, and especially as many times as it's mentioned there in Jude 15, um, it reminds me that I don't want to be whatever the next couple things, either before that or after that, are speaking about. And here in Jude 15, it says that these ungodly sinners are grumblers, complainers, walking after their own lusts with swelling words, leading to partiality and spiritual pride. May we endeavor not to become such people. You see, Israel, they grumbled about a lot of things. However, I want to sort of sum up the things they grumbled about. For example, in Exodus chapter 15, verses 24 through 26, we find Israel grumbling for water. In Egypt, we had water. Now we're out here. We're going to thirst to death. In Exodus chapter 16, we find Korah and his company, his group there, uh, they decide that they want to come up against Moses. Moses and Miriam and Aaron have held this position for too long. They're jealous. And they say, we're going to build our own altar and our own system of worship and lift up strange fire to the Lord. And you can go ahead and read there in uh, Exodus as well as in Numbers what happens to such people. We'll actually be looking at that as we move further in this journey. We then see in Exodus chapter 16, verses 2 through 8, that Israel grumbles for water. Then we see Israel grumble, grumbling with bitterness toward Moses and God in Exodus chapter 16, verses 41 through 50, because of this wilderness experience. Nothing like going through the journey of life and becoming bitter through it all. Many have done that. Then we see again Israel grumbling for water in Exodus chapter 17, and then they're grumbling out of jealousy against Moses as well. So the three things we would sum up here would be food and water, which is a lack of trust, and jealousy and bitterness. All three things that can come out of a faulty experience of the wilderness. When you deal with trials, unfortunately, you can come out of dealing with trials by lacking a trust in God. You can come out of trials having a jealousy toward those that are serving God or those that are living the life that you might want to live because you're walking after your own lusts and not experiencing the journey as God would have you live your life. And then, of course, being bitter. Many people come out of unfortunate, come out of the uh, wanderings of life, the wilderness, so to speak, uh, bitter at God and others. He that 
diligently seeks good procures favor, but he that seeks mischief, it shall come upon him. You see, it's important to think that if what we set our minds on, if we grumble, we're going to receive grumbling. We're going to receive things that will lead us to further grumbling. If we set our mind on things that are above, if we go through the trials the way that we're supposed to, we can ultimately gain favor. Matter of fact, in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 5, we get insight, we get wisdom as to how we should go through trials, starting at verse 2. Knowing this, saints, that the trying of your faith works patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may become perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally, and unbraideth not, that it shall be given to him. You see, we go through times of trial that we would become perfect. But it's only if we're going through the times of trial obediently and without grumbling, without becoming intimidated. I want to mark out our next thing here as an intimidation. So I, I believe we've got us past being uh, grumblers. So now what about those that we go through the trial of life and now we become intimidated because we just don't want to experience trial anymore. I don't, I went and I preached the message of Jesus to someone. Went through this trial that Pastor Mike told me to do and they slammed the door in my face. So I don't want to go to that door anymore. I do not want to experience that type of intimidation any longer. What do we do? when intimidation is right in front of us. You know, our Saturate booklet that we're going through, um, they use the call of Moses and they say this, quote, if you are reluctant to move forward, you are in... The booklet then tells us about the informal missionaries, is what they call them, uh, the first century saints, or actually the first couple centuries of saints that were responsible for the spread of the gospel in the early church. Being honest, I don't know that I'm willing to identify with doubtful Moses and say that that is good company. Rather, we should be a people who have seen the work of God, that we are convicted by it, and that we are not reluctant to move forward because we know that God moves with us. I love what Bible teacher Jonathan Welton had to say about the comparison of Israel's experience in the wilderness wandering to the Lord's experience in the wilderness. And I know we would rather identify with the Lord than Moses, right? Jonathan Welton says this, quote, Like Israel, Jesus went through the Red Sea, came upon the other side, was baptized by the Holy Spirit, and then entered the wilderness for 40 days. 40 seems to be a time of completion. He then encountered an enemy, the devil, and rather than being intimidated, he stood in his identity and his relationship with God, resisted the devil, and walked out of the wilderness as the victor. By contrast, the Israelites walked 40 days in the wilderness, turned it into 40 years, doubted God, became intimidated, pulled away from God, and gave a bad report. You see, when intimidation seems to come, we must stand in our identity and our relationship with God. We must resist the devil. We must walk out of whatever situation we find ourselves in whatever wilderness wandering trial as the victor. May we shake our head at doubting God, pulling away from him, or gaining a bad report 
Because when we're in Christ, it is always yes and amen. The victory is ours. In our booklet for Saturation, they challenge us that if we are waiting to share our faith until we know God better, or we're waiting for a better experience in the wilderness, so to speak, you will never move forward. Do not be intimidated. Also, in the booklet, they give you a chart that you can go through and you can fill out and you can examine some of the areas that you may have been intimidated, the areas that you may feel weak, and you can learn how to further lean on Christ and where you are weak, he will make you strong. I do encourage you to go ahead and fill out that study in the Saturate booklet this week. The last thing I want to make mention of is spiritual pride. If you'd like to turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, share some insights there regarding spiritual pride. Probably a passage most of us have heard before. Sorry about that. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to start at verse 1. If there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercies, fulfill this in my joy, that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, letting nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves looking not every man unto his own things, but every man unto the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be made equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even to the death of a cross. Therefore God, who has also exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow, all things in heaven, things on earth, and things under the earth, that, at, that every tongue shall confess Jesus as the Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have also obeyed, not in my presence only, but now more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling." Again, the Apostle Paul is reminding the church of Philippi here for their need to be humble, their need to be like Jesus, who was in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be made, well, no, it wasn't, thought it not robbery to be made equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He humbled himself, even to the point of death. We do not have the privilege to be spiritually proud people. In Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, our Lord gives a beautiful parable. A parable about a Pharisee that comes before God, lifts up a prayer, and demands to be heard. Whereas the widow comes before God and basically exalts that she shouldn't even, you know, she proclaims that she should not even be heard. How wicked she was. That's how we're supposed to approach God. We're not supposed to be a people that demand, look at me, I've made it through the trials of life. No. Look at me. I'm so grateful that God would bring me through it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 through 15, matter of fact, building on top of this Exodus story, I thought this is beautiful. 
if you'd like to turn over there with me. After the Apostle Paul explains that this is instruction for the church, he actually narrows it down to this spiritual pride problem. Because again, I believe that that is the issue, that the church would have become victorious, but then would have gained an attitude of spiritual pride. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12-13 through 13. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. There is no temptation that has taken you, but that which is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. Therefore, my dear, my dear beloved, flee from idolatry. Let a man be mindful, be wary, unless he fall. That no temptation has been given to man and not, that is not common to man. May we be a people that move away from spiritual pride. So this week, as we leave here today, I would like you to think about how you've gone through the wilderness. Think about things you have seen, heard, learned, and experienced as a follower of Jesus Christ. Going through wilderness moments, living the life. How have you been impacted by the wilderness of life? If you've been impacted in negative ways, maybe you identify with the grumbling, maybe you identify with spiritual pride or intimidation. Write these hindrances down. Maybe there's other ones. Write them down and make a proactive decision this week to grow through the negative emotions. Seek wisdom and accountability. And again, I make mention of that chart that you can find on page 22 of the Saturate booklet. If you have positive things that you can highlight that you've grown through the wilderness with, find opportunity to walk in the fullness of what you have come to learn. Ask the Lord to lead you to intentionally share those details with someone this week. Maybe someone in your, Judea, your Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, or the ends of the earth circles that we've been marking out as a part of our saturation. The key is to go through wilderness moments and to respond like Jesus. He responded with the word of God. Let's talk about grumbling. Let's end by marking out some scriptural responses to these diseases that can creep upon us as we go through the wilderness of life. Grumbling. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it tells us that all things are done for the glory, all things are done for the glory of God and all things are done for the good of those that love God. Do we believe that, church? And if we do believe that, there's no room for grumbling because every experience we go through, we would say this is being done for the good of those that love God. Whatever trial, whatever wilderness we find ourselves in, we can say this is for the good because I love God. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, we can know that no matter what situations we find ourselves in, I've been here, I'll tell you, no matter where we're at, no matter how much we're questioning what God is doing in our lives, we can say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things will be given. We can cleave to that promise that our Lord had spoken. Matter of fact, that whole passage there in Matthew chapter 6 is worthy of review as we're talking about trusting in God and looking at how the Israelites failed to do so in the wilderness journey. Our Lord gives us some insightful wisdom there to uh, pay heed to in regards to um, how he is with us and how he provides for us 
and how we can trust in him. Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 tells us to set our mind on things that are above. So when we find ourselves grumbling, what we need to do is change our thinking, renew our minds according to the word of God. Set our mind on things that are peaceable, pure, lovely, lead to edification, not the things that are obviously leading us to a state of grumbling. When we feel intimidated, Hebrews chapter 2 speaks good wisdom to us. It says that we are to set our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. I'll tell you, that passage is wild. You see, Jesus knew what was before him. He didn't allow that to intimidate him. It says that for the joy set before him, he looked to that trial as joy because Jesus knew that all things work to the good of those that love God. So if we do that, if we find ourselves being intimidated in life by whatever journey we're going through or whatever we're, you know, we're experiencing or whatever we're about to do, we need to set our eyes on Jesus and follow after him and know and note, to know and to note how Jesus Christ had won the victory. To do it the way he did and to gain empowerment because he's done it. And then spiritual pride. Of course, I make mention of that passage there in Philippians chapter 2. That we are to have the same mind in us that our Lord had. And there's no room for pride in the way that Jesus Christ lived his life on earth and what he has provided for us today. There's no way to see any pride in that. We are to be a people that are marked out by going through this journey, humbly, thanking God, seeing God, believing in God, being convicted by God, that he moves with us. Thank you. Let's pray. Mighty God, we do thank you, Lord. We thank you that you have given an example, Lord, that you have given us an example, example of failure. You have given us an example of victory, Lord. We do pray that you would lead us not to be a people, that grumble, that are intimidated, that are spiritually proud. But rather, Lord, we would be a people that are caught up in you. We would be caught up in our identity in you, Lord. We would be caught up in who you are and in your power. Ultimately, we would be caught up in our identity and our relationship with you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for bringing us through the wilderness of life. Thank you for all experiences, Lord, even those that we may not always feel thankful for in the moment. But we do know and we do believe that all things work for the good of those that love God. We give you all the praise and glory, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.